This is episode number 67. No, 47. 47. Oh. Down the rabbit hole. Carl, how are you? I'm fine. Beautiful day. Beautiful day. Yeah, I think the last days have been very nice. Very spring. Nice. Spring is here. Very close, mm -hmm. I think. And today we have a show where we have a special guest. Yeah. And what is the show today? Well, today we're talking about music. Mm. We are talking about uh, very specific influence of music on yeah. people, I'd say. Yeah. How it affects your mental state. Yes. And for that we have our guest, which I will let present himself. So it's Daniel Patrick Cohen. Yes. A musician specializing in film music, a composer. Um, and I'm based in Cluj, like the like Rafa and Carl. And so we're all in the same place then? We're all in the same place. That's all comforting. The, yes. For yeah. an older person like me. Yeah. Good, yeah. Good. Um, and, yeah, so we're talking about uh, music and specifically whether music can be used to for maybe sinister ends. Influencing your behaviour. Uh, influencing your behaviour and specifically whether kind of, uh, well, we've got this article about whether happy music uh -huh. can make you do bad things, the, mm, the article announces. Interesting concept. And if you have been listening concept. to the show, you know that Daniel has been before with us and we had a brush of this topic as well in that occasion. Yeah, we did actually. Mm. So now we're going to talk about it more in depth, but we start with the news. And the news of the week. Yeah. Like every time we have some news, the most, uh, how can we say, in interesting news of the week. Yeah, that is so kind we of can find our own. Peaked our interest mm -hmm. kind of thing. Do you want to start? Yes. Well, then let's start with there has been the discovery of organic molecules on Ceres. Yeah. And this is actually. Uh, widening the hunt for life. So the scientists have seen signs of uh, prebiotic compounds mm. in the dwarf planet uh, Ceres. Yeah. So this is like a teaser for the possibilities of life. Absolutely. Obviously, this started a big uh, discussion about uh, yeah. maybe there's life, life came... Well, the interesting thing is, of course, is the discovering these guy kind of pre-building uh, blocks mm -hmm. kind of in more and more places, aren't they? Which adds a lot to the theory of the panspermia. Exactly, the panspermia, which was originally proposed by an English astronomer, I think, was Fred, uh -huh. Fred Hoyle, I think, wasn't it? Yes. Who originally came up with that concept. And, uh, well, just to add on a fast... Uh, Quote, the scientists were not expecting to see something like this on the surface of Ceres. Yeah. And uh, it's really pre-biological, but they are in the family of materials that we would expect if uh, Ceres was working its way along the complexity path. And you kind of maybe think that obviously, because it's in the belt, kind of it's kind of mm -hmm. frozen in a moment. Yeah. Kind of thing, yeah. Exactly. Imagine that transporting yeah. uh, Ceres out of there. To the habitable zone. Exactly. A few like a billion like years a ago. Moon. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And of course, you can have collisions between objects in the belt, and then the surface material then Go away. makes its way yeah. in system towards the center and mm -hmm. sprays over various planets and blah, blah, blah. And yes. It's this panspermia thing. Exactly. Oh, very interesting. Okay, I'll do the next one. Next one. Um, a subject close to my heart is. <laughs> 
How do you get the last bit of ketchup out of the bottle, right? Oh, everybody has been always trying to hit the bottle. Like People have techniques, right? Apparently, apparently there's a karate chop technique. The problem is if it's a crystal bottle, you cannot squeeze it and try to, you know... Yeah, you gotta, you got to bang the bottom. Yeah. Right? Uh, there's all kinds of techniques. Anyway, scientists have, in fact, solved this problem. Wow. So basically what they have done is they have looked at the characteristics of the internal surface of the bottle and they've come up with a solution. It's actually a U.S. university that have come up with a solution. MIT. Oh, it's MIT. <laughs> boys, they have all the best ideas, right? Yeah. <laughs> you, can, you can imagine them in the canteen or restaurant at MIT trying to get the catch one. Yeah, like, why oh, doesn't this come yeah. out? What is wrong with this? <laughs> anyway, let's find a way to do it. Let's find a way. Anyway, so um, the, the solution they came up with is that... Um, Basically, they've come up with a special surface treatment for the inside of the bottle where initially the material is rough and then it is coated with a film and then it is coated with an edible film mm-hmm. that kind of fills the ridges that have been uh, made. And this edible film is the kind of super slippery coating. And so basically... This allows the very last drop of ketchup to uh-huh. just literally fall out of the... My only concern now is, of course, is that I think, I don't know what you think, but I think that the way ketchup comes out is partly due to it sticking to the side. So if they've uh-huh. come up with the super slippery version, does that mean it's going to alter the way it comes out so you kind of go like that and, and the whole yeah. lot comes <laughs> all, all goes out yeah. completely. But yeah, they'll have to redesign... Probably. Maybe. Maybe we have to buy one of those bottles that have the the little circle that... The little squidgy thing. The squidgy thing, yeah. Yeah, with the membrane in it. Uh There'll be something like that. that. You control the... I mean, we look look forward to that because I'm I'm pretty sure we both like ketchup, right? Uh Uh-huh. What's not to like? It's tomato. Especially if it's spicy one. Spicy. It's red. (laughs) We just love it, right? Yeah. So, yeah, so that's uh, ketchup coming to maybe a supermarket near you. Very soon. Very soon. Very uh, easy. <laughs> oh, and apparently the same technology can be applied to toothpaste tubes. Exactly. To- oh, that will be very yeah, useful. That's very useful, right? Because yeah. apparently it is a fact that when a toothpaste tube is empty, it's not. It's not. And actually, you have way more. Something like left. 10% or something. Yeah. And a lot of people actually cut the bottom off to try to take and off get the everything. rest out. Yeah. 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 Interesting. I just have to say I've never done that. No, me either. Yeah, I've heard of people <laughs> who do that. Anyway, on to the next one. Your the next. next one. This was a super announcement of NASA. Oh, yeah. Because there was a big, big... Uh, conference uh, thing. Conference and buzz around. All the media, mm. especially social media, was full of special NASA announcement discovery. Yeah, I thought it was going to be Little Green Men. I was very disappointed. I think everybody was expecting Alien Life, finally. Yes. yes. They're here. No. <laughs> but this was actually not bad. Actually, it was no, very interesting. It was very interesting. These seven, um, yes, kind of allegedly Earth-sized Earth worlds that are habitable. The Trappist-1 system. Trappist-1 system. And the interesting part is that they started to make a... Um, a contest to name the planets. That's right, and they, and they have a. They did a fantastic tourist brochure as well. Did yeah. you see that? Uh-huh. What I like about this story is that we have just about screwed up this planet, right? <laughs> yeah. So knowing that there are seven further planets we could screw up, we stop worrying about. Not too far them. away. Yeah. Well, let's just carry on. 
Yeah. You know, we'll find a way to get there, right? But only three of those seven oh, are in the habitable zone uh, of the star, yeah. which is a very different kind of star. Yeah. yeah. It's smaller. It's a red... Than uh, our sun. It's not a red dwarf, is it? It's no, a, um, it's... Um, what is it? A um, Something. What is it called? Well, they call it ultra cool dwarf star. Yeah. Which is uh, slightly bigger mm. or larger than Jupiter, but is more uh, has much more mass. And to it. they think that probably it has a kind of salmony red color, uh-huh. the light from it. Now, the other interesting thing is that because the star is so uh, dim, relatively uh-huh. speaking, uh, NASA are saying this is a huge candidate for direct observation of these planets exactly and they can start looking at the potential so imagine atmosphere or whatever remember that we talk about this news about this um panel in space this kind of the, flower uh, sunshade thing star shade star shade in combination with that and the fact that the star is very exactly very small the light will not influence as much as with others exactly that's going to be fantastic we're going to we cannot we're going to be looking closely at these yeah now if there is life on any of these planets, we'll see. Yeah, I think the first thing they will try to detect is about uh, signatures for gases. Well, like industrial gases. Yeah, um, you know there there are certain gases that don't occur naturally, and potentially one obviously ozone is an indicator of biological activities. Uh-huh. No, methane. Sorry, isn't it? Methane is an indicator of biological activity. Yeah. Um, but what if they detected other gases like... Um, Methane. Well, like CFCs in our or, atmosphere, yeah, of course, exactly. are, are natural. They're produced by um, industry, right? Uh-huh. Um, it'd be interesting, for sure. Yeah. So you never know. Yeah, that's it. Maybe, the, the, f- maybe the invasion fleet will be here before we get to it. <laughs> or we prepare our invasion fleet. Well, that'll be worth seeing, wouldn't it? <laughs> <laughs> Some recycled shuttles and... <laughs> Oh, there's the brochure there, look. Yeah. Yeah, that's fascinating. So, those are the news. There's the news. See you on the tour for Trappist. Wow, cool. Yeah. And it's time for the main segment of the show. And it's, uh, well, we started to call it Happy Music, Dark Minds, or Dark Actions. Because you're on Dark Mind Radio. Yeah. And... Let's start from the beginning. <laughs> Why not? Yeah. Um, I think it would make more sense. Right? I think it would do. We try to do that, don't we, in the show? We try to start at the beginning. It doesn't always work. Yeah. And I think uh, everybody's aware mm. that music plays a lot with the emotions of people. Absolutely. It plays a lot with the minds in the sense that there's a lot of times when music reminds you of places, of people, of food. Or, or a time or a place. Or, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. And of course, it's been this um, influence has been hijacked not only by political parties but by regimes of various kinds. And yeah, that's what we will talk about. Yeah, how some people can use this influence to influence you. And you know, Dan, what do you think about? Um, obviously, you're a composer and a musician. What, as a composer, how do you actually? have in mind what emotional state you're trying to trigger in the listener to your compositions, or does that just emerge from some creative process and it's whatever it is? 
Can you uh, deliberately do it? Or? No, I think the sec- the second bit there um, is is more accurate to uh, certainly to my process. I, I I completely reject the idea of targeting uh, an emotion, an emotion or, or mm. something, and, and then try and then going for that because it's uh, it's you're immediately oversimplifying what you're what you're trying to do. I, I think. Right. Um, so I would all you you uh, go explore inwards mm-hmm. and. Um, Try and express express something that's going to mean something to you personally. Something that says something that uh, that only you can say, mm-hmm. and then the consequence could well be that oh, that's that's a nice bit of music. That's uh, something that's uh, something made, that made me happy. Right, you know? so that could be that that could well be the co- the consequence, but that's not the that wouldn't be the starting point. So it's like you're more free in your uh, compositional efforts. If you don't have these preconceptions about what you're trying to uh, kind of um, generate, yes, uh, certainly, yes, definitely. You de- there's definitely more freedom and there's more artistry to that. I think, of course, right. So, so the opposite, which is trying to create a specific response, you would regard that with great suspicion, Charles. Yes, I mean, I can. We can. Uh, there's. Uh, I would definitely say that about. There's something I reject quite early on um, about. Uh, when I uh, studying music and stuff, and thinking about film music, and especially as rejecting the, um, there's a thing which I might have mentioned last time. I'm not sure about. There's a, a book that exists for pianists to play uh, on uh, over silent films, right? Yeah. And the book has happy music, sad music, you know, horror music. One, right? Uh, something surprising happens. Yeah, you know, uh, hashtag. Three zero four, <laughs> right? And that was that's something I would uh, act against, like uh, immediately. That is kind of anathema to what I would what I would do in film music or in in any music. Now, this topic in, uh, at the beginning was inspired by the fact that of an article that was released uh, recently called "Why Happy Music Makes You Do Bad Things." But first of all, how and we you also mentioned it now. How can you define happy music? What is happy music? Mm. Well, you get yes, you get uh, as a uh, at the very early stages of being, being a musician, you're kind of taught that uh, happy music would be music in a major key, uh-huh. and so, and sad music is in a in a minor, minor key. Are these the blue notes? And then, yes, so. and then you've got yes, yeah, so you've got the there's, there's different notes of the scale. So the right. major scale will be da 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 da. And then the minor scale. Da, 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 that was beautifully done. Very nice. So there we are. <laughs> so you have, and the, the the two of those notes are different. The third and the sixth. Mm-hmm. And it's interesting when when I go when I go to uh, when I'm teaching and I go to kids and I say and I say this stuff. This works. They pick up on it straight away. Which right. one's the happy one? Which one's the sad one? They know right. it straight away. So mm-hmm. there is that the, whether it's nurture or nature, there is something straight in there that pe- that's. I think it probably is more nurture than nature, right. but it is something that pe- people pick up on at a very early age. This idea of happy, happy and sad being um, associated with the major, major scale, minor. and minor scale. Um, now, um, but like uh, similarly to if you're watching a film that is. Uh, too over, like if you imagine watching a trashy American film that's supposed to be. I don't uh, know what you're happy. getting out there. Yeah, you don't. <laughs> <laughs> what are you trying to say? Well, no. Uh, if okay, well, if you're going, okay, if you're, uh, I'm sure you can think of a trashy. You must have seen some trashy American oh, films in many, your time, Carl. Many, many. Um, 
And yes, if you want, then you can see that it's quite prescribed. This is the happy bit. This is the sad bit. Right, whatever, whatever. just by listening to the soundtrack. Right? Yes, and uh, yes, yeah, so maybe just by listening to the soundtrack. And you've got, but you've got a simple. There's a simplicity there, right. which is uh, formulaic, which, which doesn't actually necessarily correspond to you feeling happier or sadder right. after the um, after the the after you've finished watching. Right? But it's almost like trying to give you a clue as to how to react to what you're watching. Yes, or, ju- or, or in, in, a, in a bad scenario, just forcing it on you. Just right. to, you know, and I, I, I thought a little bit about the film, you know, if you look at films with uh, super happy endings, I came up, I thought about this, and I came up with four films with super happy endings. Casablanca, mm. American Beauty, which you might have seen, uh-huh. right. uh, It's a Wonderful Life, and Toy Story. Kind right. of four films with really quite uplifting endings. Casablanca, yeah. not so sure about that. But. Well, I think, I think <laughs> Casablanca does, actually. Uh, in Casablanca, it ju- it's kind of the, in the midst of all the chaos, it just about works out at the end. I agree, yeah, I agree. Um, but if you look at all of those films, there's a mm. huge amount of angst in the mid in in mid story. Yeah, yeah. and the, and the, and actually, the, the happy bit is the mm. payoff as a result of something else, and that is what li- what leaves you with this kind of impre- mm. impression at the end. What do you think? Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, there, yeah. Well, no. Just taking a just taking yeah. a, a kind of step back. Um, part of the thing that triggered us off on this subject was uh, research that has been done in Israel uh, by a, a psychologist, uh, Naomi Ziv, at the College of Management Academic Studies. And uh, she's saying that um, music is able to manipulate people in all kinds of ways and that um, music can actually be used in a negative way, it can make people more compliant, it can make them more aggressive, and even it can make them racist. And um, mm-hmm. there were a number of experiments done to kind of probe this kind of idea, uh, which we'll touch on in a little while. Yeah. Um, and it's not so hard to identify moments when music is being used to influence you. It's not so hard you to see, believe this, is it? You see it in political movements. You yeah. see it in... Uh, I read also there was this example about uh, the propaganda being used by the Nazis and mm-hmm. the music they were using always to create this atmosphere and so yeah. on. Yeah. Uh, and in fact, there was a, a case with the Nazis, apparently, where uh, in order to attract uh, younger listeners uh, during the rise of the Nazi regime... The um, the regime actually broadcast swing music, uh-huh. which they generally didn't approve of, but they broadcast swing music on the radio to get younger listeners yeah. to listen. It's like they set up a honeypot. You know, they set up a trap, <laughs> honey trap, and then interjected what, why they were tuning in with propaganda messages. Of course. So, you know, kind of pull them in and then start working on them. Mm-hmm. It's quite interesting. Uh, the other thing that she did, this uh, Naomi Ziv, uh, mm. she did an experiment. So during that, she was doing, called people in for an experiment. And during the experiment, she they were listening to, uh, she well, she conflates e- uh, happy music with easy listening music, which I think is a little bit of a dangerous thing to do. But mm. she, okay, so she's, uh, she's playing them some, James, this James Brown track. So there's a control group that doesn't get the James Brown track. And there's yeah. another group that does get the James Brown track. Uh, uh, sound, uh, and another track. group that gets... 
Nothing yes, at all. Yes, yeah, so, so there's a yeah. There's one that gives nothing. And a one little that night gives, music. Uh, yeah, so there's, a, there's Mozart. But the, what she found, and then in the middle of this conversation, she said, "Ah, uh, there's somebody supposed to come later for, as part of their course." Yeah. But I don't want to see her. Can you just get, give her a call and just say, "I, I, I uh, it's yeah. not happening," and gives them the phone, which is a strange thing to ask. And what she found was that the people who had the music playing, this uh, easy listening or happy music, whatever it is you want to call it, mm. uh, were much more, more likely, mm. significantly more likely to mm. actually say, yeah, all right. Yeah, significantly uh, more. And that is, uh, that is uh, I think that's an unsettling thing to discover, <laughs> definitely. <laughs> definitely. Um, kind of makes you more suggestive, right? Yeah, so it's, it's, that doesn't indicate you're more suggestive. Um I, there, there's another thing she talks about. There's, then she starts talking about whether if you're in a good mood, you're more compliant, and if you're in a bad mood, you're yeah. less compliant. You're maybe if you're, she says, depressed people are more critical or uh, something. Well, more depressed people. I've read this elsewhere in other contexts. Uh, people who are depressed are less easy mm. to persuade of something. And they are more analytical than people who are not depressed, which is quite. Mm-hmm. But I kind of thought I, about that, and I thought, well, if you have an optimistic outlook, then you're more likely to believe something well, that's pitched to you. I'm not 100% about, sure about that from personal experience. I think I could argue for myself mm. that if, I'm in, if I am in a good mood, I'm more likely to take the time to quit a, to to do what I would normally do and criticise something, you know. Is that because you're carefully. a contrarian then? <laughs> no, I'm, I'm just putting the case. I'm just, put, I'm just putting the case from my point. And whereas if I'm in a bad mood, I mean, uh, you know, if I'm in a bad mood, I think maybe I will actually be more likely to just kind of let something pass that's actually maybe I don't agree with. Mm. Uh, that's just, I'm, I'm just, put, uh, of course, that's a contrarian thing, but I, th- uh, I will just put that, I would put that out there from my personal experience. Mm. That is interesting. Do you think we can label, uh, like you said now, easy music and happy music, like, Similar or is totally something different? What do you think? No, no. I, I mean, I think the hap- genuinely happy music is actually a very small. There's a very small selection of music that I would ha- say was genuinely happy. Mm-hmm. Um, I think so. I mean, one, one of the things I would say is like, if you look at your favorite music, like my Desert Island discs, there's like it's a huge amount of angst in my de- Desert Island. He discs. doesn't know oh. what Desert Island discs. Uh, de- oh, sorry, yeah, it's a UK cultural thing. reference. <laughs> Desert Island disc is a, a UK radio show where they get people on and they talk about their their CDs they would take onto a desert island if they were stranded. Uh-huh. Well, what right. music? They what would music? Take. Yes, yes. What music? Yes. And yeah. a favorite book. But if I look at my first, some of my favorite music, you know, Sly and the Family Stone, you've got Miles Davis, Pink Floyd, all the rap music I'm obsessed with at the moment. There's, there's just, it's, there's a huge amount of like dark stuff in there. Mm-hmm. And I think that, that might just be because angst is uh, angst. simply mm. more interesting than happiness. Yeah, I agree. So I put, I put that out there's there. There's kind of more scope to it, right? It has more shades than happiness. Yes. Right? And it's just, it's just more. And, uh, you're I, either happy or you're not, but angst. Yeah. <laughs> Come on. I'd, but then I, I, I would also put, um, but in the um, when it, after experiencing some artwork with uh, that, that explores some darker themes, you mm. may well end feel happier afterwards than if you watch a movie or listen to a piece of music that is just you know happy and upbeat all the way mm. through. Mm. I think you have like a lull afterwards where it's like having too much sugar. Um, <clears throat> like a like you become like a sugar rush that ends. Yes, you, you kind of dip. Yes. So like, mm-hmm. if I think about one of the most depressing movies I've ever seen ever, it's called Amour by uh, Hanukkah. I don't know if you heard about that one. It won the Palm Door a couple of years ago. No, I saw that. Uh, it's bleaker than 
anything. <laughs> you can't, I could not imagine. You want to watch either of this, right? But you come out of the film, and I messaged, I messaged my wife here, my now wife here, and uh, she's still married. You have seen. She's it. still married. Yes, and <laughs> that's amazing. But there, you know, there's a there's an uplift afterwards, which is kind of a genuine thing, and I think that is. Uh, it's of note. I think there might be an inverse relationship. I mean, this is a, again an oversimplification, but there might be an inverse thing about having, if you come out of your experience of the music or, mm. or whatever, uh, that your relationship might be inverse to what the what you just experienced. So you might feel better after a mm-hmm. watching something really bleak. It's, it's exactly what I w- and uh, yeah. what like count your blessings. Stuff. Whereas, whereas, and there was the one time I was I was right up against it with a deadline. I decided to cheer myself up. I watched Anchorman, which I would normally think oh, of as, Anchorman, a, as a fu- right? as a funny film. Yeah. And it Will Ferrell, awful. Right, I couldn't even get through. It. I couldn't even get through it. Yeah. yeah. Now, normally, I, I have found that fu- that film funny, but like. You know, you have to when, be I needed, right mood, when right? I needed something to actually pick me up, it was useless. It yeah. was absolutely just was rubbish. Yeah, you, you probably need something more uplifting. But yes, you? there's that uplifting thing that's more difficult to achieve. And that is very subtle. Mm-hmm. Well, thing. the experiment was also mentioning about uh, how uh, aggressive music and, like you were saying, more dark music yeah. uh, would make people to react better, do things uh, yeah. better. They, 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 yes, they and do. I think one yeah. of the most important thing here is that it helps you release all this tension, this yeah. kind of music. I agree with that. It's kind of a, you know, like a release for it's a release. negative emotions. An exorcism. Huh? Yes, exactly. It's kind of like you're processing negative feelings through mm-hmm. listening to the music. And it's possible that's quite, that might be a healthy thing to do. I mean, exactly. that, the first time I was presented with that was in that film, Bowling for Columbine, which I think they mention in the article. Yeah, and uh, yeah. what's his name? Michael Moore? Michael Moore, yeah. Uh, goes and he interviews Marilyn Manson yeah. directly all about the subject because they tried to blame <laughs> all that gun. Eminem. All, oh, yeah. all those pro-gun people yeah. tried to blame Eminem yeah. and Marilyn Manson and stuff for that, for those, those atrocities. Yeah. And... Uh, uh, yeah, and, I think and it was shown there was zero evidence. Uh, yes, I'm sure, and, and in fact, I'd probably argue there's probably evidence the other way that actually, if you, I, you know, if I have to choose between someone listening to some Marilyn Manson and going and shooting someone, then you go. Uh, which would you choose? I'd say probably listen to the Marilyn Manson. I, uh, yes, that's a personal. That's a personal preference. Yeah. Right, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but I think there is. I think it's, it's entirely possible that there is an outlet. Those things are an outlet, yeah. not an inspiration. Uh, you know, yeah. a, as a generalization, but like a lightning rod to um, to negative emotion, yeah, yeah, yeah. rather than a yeah. Uh, and th- there was an interesting again, just pulling back a little bit from the specifics, but um, in the research, um, it was touched on about Christmas music. Oh yeah, that being was a perfect example uh-huh. of making people more compliant and. A, and it says, uh, as a kind of a side comment, and I think we're kind of aware of this kind of thing anyway, which is that certainly in the UK, you and I know, Dan, that somewhere around the 1st of September... Well, I know, because I worked in a department store. All right, they, so start I, playing, I <laughs> they start playing uh, Wizard and uh, Merry Christmas yeah, and yeah. Slade and it's outrageous. particular tracks. And, of course, beyond a certain age, you go into the shop and your shoulders just slump. Yeah. Because you're listening to this music, it dist- no, it destroys the whole, whole any any happiness there is to be had at Christmas, it and it's pretty amenable to begin with. Is right. is destroyed? It's by pretty it. thin, right? Yeah. Uh, but apparently, there are whole teams of um, kind of probably behavioural psychologists or something who actually make up those mixtapes. Yeah, they don't have. Don't, they don't yeah. happen. They don't happen by accident. It doesn't happen. It's by not accident. by accident. And they program it, and they they think carefully about when to stop 
when to start it all. It's quite, it's quite. And the, and the main idea is to start to influence the consumer to buy more, to, yeah, you know. To be more compliant, more right? Yeah. To be compliant to the advertising. Right? Well, th this is the thing about shopping. My, my theory about the shopping, and it is, you know, connected to the consumerism thing. Shopping should be a... <laughs> shopping. I read your rant about sh shopping. Shopping should be a horrible thing. It is a horrible uh, process. If you look at let's look at this objectively for a moment. You're, you, you're, are you attacking consumerism? Uh, certainly, yes. Okay, so you're 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 spending money, which you may well not. Which is hopefully which, yours. Which, which, <laughs> which, which, which may well, well, as you say, it may well be money you don't or, have. Right? Maybe the taxpayers. It, it's tiring. You know, you get all that abuse from all the yeah. colours and the and the, and sounds and stuff. Uh, you're and if you're actually, I have thought about this. If you're looking at a so let's say you go to. Uh, I saw an article about how if you're if you actually touch the product, you're much more likely to buy it. Right. So you, but when in doing that, you're actually touching something that's not yours. Yet. Yet. Anticipation. But this is something that you're told as a, as a child. No, don't touch that. That's not that doesn't belong to you. Right. So you're, you're, I'm, what I'm saying is that shops are having to go against quite a lot of your instincts. Uh -huh. Then you're you also then the, if you think about the morality of maybe I don't know eating meat. I'm not a vegetarian, but I would say that you know it's probably it's not that nice that we'll killing all animals and eating them and stuff. There's all that morality thing, which you don't want to be thinking about, which the shops don't want you to be thinking well, that's about. That's why they... Yeah. And there's the morality of your of the clothes and maybe even the morality of how the employees are treated at the shop. And, and oh, I'm all, I know, right, okay. Now, yeah, but that is... Uh, that's what's going on in a shop. And that is why there's a massive need for the shop to reassure you that everything's okay. You're doing the right thing. You're oh, doing yeah. the right thing. And uh, so it's actually it's substantially worse than thinking of music as something to make you happy. It's music from something sinister trying to make you comforted. So you need manipulating. Yes. So you need, you need, you, you, there is a massive need for you to be manipulated and you need to be comforted specifically. Is it, not not it, just made happy and in a good mood, it's comforted. Is it kind of like rewarding negative behaviour, is that well, what the music yeah. is doing? That's what, that's what it's, that, yes, that, that's, that's what's going on. Right. And the question, but then the question is who's responsible for that? Who, that's, who's behind this? Who's, that's what yes. I want to know. Because the question, because then you have to think whether do you, because I want, I worry that the article is trying to place the blame on the artist, specifically maybe even on James mm. Brown. Which is not which, really. No, I don't you think, don't think she is. No, I don't think it is. You don't think the article is I think you're over-reading that. that. Uh, I don't know. She was, uh, actually, I got uh, the same impression as well. Right. That, you know, but actually it's not uh, the artist. It's who uses the music of the artist yeah. and how you use it. You yeah. can't. I wouldn't want to place this at Jack. Me and James Brown. We love. I love James Brown. So he's a pioneer, I, yeah. right? Yeah, yeah. Uh, fantastic. You, yes. I mean, he's a very, very special musician. You know, legendary. Hmm. Uh, you can't put the blame at his at his door, door for it. No, I think what she's really putting her attention on is what is it in us that re reacts to music in this way. This and, is what. Yeah. She's trying to tease out. Why is it? And if we become, I think, as consumers, if we become more aware of this, then that, that's a good thing. That's a good defense. Awareness. Right? In fact, there was something about also the drums, how the brainwaves sync oh, yeah. with the beat of the drums, and yeah. that's why drums in music become so exactly. important. To, probably because the beats are the most uh, essential or basic part of the... The kind of undercut. Of the song. They take the rhythm and so on. Well, it makes you get in that pace, so the rest just... Interestingly, uh, a neuroscientist called Annette Shermer, I think her name is, at the University of Singapore, uh, in a series of experiments, she found that rhythmic sounds in music actually caused brainwaves to synchronise in a group. That's strange, isn't it? Which is 
bizarre. It's kind of bizarre, and yet when you think about it, you think, you know, I can believe that, right? Because um, her findings went, uh, may help to explain why uh, percussion drums play such a big role in tribal ceremonies. You can imagine that, you know, we've all probably seen these documentaries about tribes in some jungle somewhere where they kind of have these trans-like ceremonies where they take a little bit of the local, you know, stuff and get some rhythmic music going. And they're, <laughs> they're, it's a zombification, right? They're, they're gone. And this research would suggest that the percussion yeah. kind of causes them. Another interesting piece of research was that um, if people move together because of a rhythm... There are actually psychological changes in their heads where the sense of self starts to dissolve, which is also another interesting, but again, kind of maps into this tribal. And is it, are the parallels with like um, the kind of e-culture, trans music, you know, big events in where people are kind of getting into some kind of mental group state Mm -hmm. is that well i think i think you can um i wouldn't i don't think i'd necessarily go to that oh uh, i would that (laughs) because i just i mean the 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 example i'd link that to is something like um uh x factor you have x factor Uh on tv and i would connect it to all these art the uh (laughs) Britain's got talent. Romania's got talent. All of this stuff. Right? Uh-huh. You what, had me until Romania's got talent. <laughs> of course, you're a massive fan. Right? But what they're doing, um, I've written this down here. I'm going to read this out. Okay. 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 What, those, what those shows are doing is selling you a false story which they want to remain the reality. And the story is that being a musician is an almost unattainable honour and it's reserved for one person in a generation and that person has to be selected by kind of godlike figures. Right. And that these godlike figures are actually morons on those shows. Right. If you think about it, all these Simon Cowles and all these guys, they're idiots. Uh, yeah. Um, is, is, <laughs> that is kind of like... Shall a, we have a disclaimer at that point? <laughs> <laughs> but that, 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 that makes the whole thing kind of a, as almost an Orwellian... It is an Orwellian... It is Orwellian. Uh, really kind of... Thing uh, which is ju- which is atrocious, but with the way they there is a mass that those shows have mass like appeal, and people go absolutely nuts for them. Yeah. And one of the things about those shows uh, about X Factor specifically is it uses Carmina Burana, the um, oh yeah, the Karlov. Right now, that <laughs> that piece. <laughs> That that was my solo version of Carmina Burana. <laughs> solo instrument. <laughs> right. But you were bobbing your head very good. Well, I thought, yeah. Mm. Now that, but that piece, yeah. interestingly, as a classical musician knows, is hugely popular with the Nazis. Right. That's like the, that's, they loved it, right? <laughs> now this is like, that's totally lost on Simon Cowell. <laughs> As a goose stepped onto the stage. (laughs) But it has this absolutely incredible effect on people. And it is a very, like, I feel that's a very sinister use of... Um, of the of the music and, it's, <laughs> and purpose, and, and it is about compliance because all of these people have to buy into this ridiculous story, which is which is just rubbish. I mean, the story is is a nonsense. It's ridiculous that only one, you know, a handful of people should be permitted to be 
celebrities. But this a lot of this though is tied in with commercialism, isn't right, it? Sure. That, um, yeah. Obviously, anybody can be a musician, clearly, but not everybody can earn five million dollars a year doing it. No, these are no, sure, special not, people. Not, right? not everyone has. Not everyone has to earn five million. I don't. I don't see any. I don't see any substantial reason why you can't have musicians uh, working in the same way that. Um, Anybody else works. Any, or anyone else works. You should with, just be able to with, earn a living. With, you know, like a you know a high salary for someone who's you know particularly, mm. uh, but not astronomical. It doesn't totally, have to be astronomically high and low. There's I no totally reason, agree, as I know, a huge number of decent musicians who would give, who would, uh, who are of worth, you know, worthwhile, mm. and really, really, really struggle. Struggle, you know? yeah. and uh, and I think this is not. So this but isn't it, something particularly out there that I'm suggesting. No, I totally agree. It's the same with visual artists, right? You should just be able to earn a living, a reasonable living, doing these things. Yeah, if, you, if you've put the work in, if you take it seriously enough, and if uh, you know, and if you're of reasonable quality, you should be. Yeah, it, there should be a should. customer out there, right? Yeah, and there probably is a customer out there, but this, these shows are, are wrecking it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But, but do you think these shows are again to do in a way with tribalism? Yes, they're completely. It is. All, that's all, actually all, yeah. the cheering that's the thing, and all the people cheer. identify with the yeah. And that's all exploited to, to awful, mm-hmm. awful. And speaking length. about that, I was reading the rally playlist of Donald Trump that you yeah. share with us. This is funny. This and is songs you can so never listen to again. It's a Trump moment. Here we go. Because when you start to check the name of, of those songs and the things that he was. None of which he got permission for. <laughs> yeah. That's another interesting point. Uh, it's like unbelievable because he's setting the mood. And the moment for people to accept what he's saying. Yeah, 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 totally. So we got, for example, God Bless the U.S., Lee Greenwood, was the intro and the exit song. How does that go? Does anybody know? I don't, I don't know. Well, we cannot play it, unfortunately, you know, copyrights. Because <laughs> this is the 21st like century. Yeah. <laughs> but, 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 of course, be our guest to go and look it up. I mean, yeah. I'm sure it's a lovely song, whatever it is. <laughs> lovely. <laughs> and then, interestingly enough, number two is... Number you, two on the Trump chart. Yeah. You can always get what you want. Yeah, which is a lovely song. I mean, the Rolling, Rolling Stones, Stones. There's a lovely song. And the Rolling Stones hated it and they wanted to, they tried to get him to stop playing stop it. Stop using it. Place, but yeah. it didn't work. And of course, because Donald Trump's Donald Trump, he can get away with that. The band can say, stop using that. Yeah, the in, band saying that is just fake news. In, in England, in England, yeah, it's fake news. In England, you can't get away with it. Gordon Brown said uh, something about Arctic Monkeys being a band he liked and then yeah. couldn't name a track afterwards. <laughs> and it was everywhere. You yeah. could you could get away from it uh, and uh, the same thing happened to David Cameron who said that the Smith you know let's say he loves the Smith the Smiths, really? and Johnny Mars told him I forbid you to like it <laughs> <laughs> you see that's the, very British <laughs> and, and it gets and it gets in the newspaper and it get, and you don't get, he wouldn't have got away with that he wouldn't have seen that as an overall like no. good PR that was negative yeah. uh, the, the effect for him you can't get away with it in the UK you can get away with it in the States apparently yeah. but what else what else have you got on the Trump well, top we five? have number Three is tiny, tiny dancer Elton John. At number three, tiny dancer Elton John. Elton John and Elton John told him to stop using it as well. Didn't <laughs> oh, he? Yes. Oh, yeah, yes, of course. I mean, yeah. And then number four. I mean, he's royalty, right? Yeah, well, yeah. Sir, yeah. Sir Elton John. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, come. Okay. Can you announce number four? Uh, oh, that was number three, was it? Yeah. <laughs> and uh, coming in at number two, what four. have we got? Heart of no. Okay, number four. Oh, number Heart four. of Stone, Rolling Stones again. Rolling Stones again. Actually, there are three songs of the Rolling Stones in the playlist. He clearly likes four. them. 
Four star, four Rolling Stones songs. Let's send four. the night together. Or he's, or he's four stars. Yeah, and two, uh, three Elton John songs. Either he likes them or he's nominated carer. It's one of the two, right? <laughs> I think just be him. With he's a megalomaniac. It's all him. This is all yeah. definitely him. Um, time is on my side. He's time is on my side. And then, and then he's and then he's got Ness and Dorma. <laughs> <laughs> but then after Ness and Dorma, he goes with funeral for a friend. <laughs> Love lies bleeding. <laughs> Elton John again, right? Yeah. <laughs> Isn't it interesting that progression of the songs? And he finishes with Rock in the USA. Rock in the USA. Yeah. <laughs> he probably read it first on Braybart News, right? Yeah. <laughs> or Fox News, whichever one he's got tuned into. Probably Fox. This is the ones he likes. Fox and Friends. So, what else have we got? Well, uh, I think that's all, but that, that, yeah, yeah that, that that's uh, that wraps up our thoughts on this article. I was thinking Would, about the, about the happiest music, the music that is because in the article we talk about easy listening. Easy listening is what is easy listening? Well, it was something. It's a not a nice title. I, no. I would. It's admit, a bit I'm, I'm, yes, I immediately shy away from it. Um, is it unchallenging? I do, I, the, other, the other problem is that I'd, some of my favourite music might get called easy listening. I'm aware that I love a band called Air very, very much. Oh, Air, French band, right? And that that would uh, that I'm sure people, some people would put that in with easy listening, but I don't. I don't think well, that's it's in the French bracket for me. So, but I don't. I don't <laughs> like the uh, easy listening. I it's, 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 it's kind of a meaningless. It's a lazy term. Anyway, I'm thinking about the. Uh, I was. I was going to make a point. That I would argue that maybe the happiest music maybe wouldn't be useful for selling anything. Selling anything. Right. I'm looking at some of the music I would consider to be the happiest music. There's a piece called The Unanswered Question by uh, Charles Ives, which has like amazing moments of like light and kind of profound darkness in the same piece. And that those those moments of light for me are very, very, I suppose you'd say happy, uplifting. You know? right. Mm-hmm. And that you wouldn't be able to use that for selling anything. I'm looking at some of these other things, maybe uh, a piece called Tree Fingers by Radiohead. There's a band called The Tune Yards. Very, very happy music, but I don't think people would be interested in using it in uh, shops will be using it for selling things, or people will be but, interested in using it for, for, for because it's too distracting. It's too. It's actually oh. would distract you away from the the thing that you're trying to be manipulated. So, because I was going to say, obviously in the UK we're so used to hearing Slade, Merry Christmas, and Wizard, and all, all that, that stuff. Yes. But generally speaking, you would say that is reasonably happy music. Are you saying that there's maybe a well, sweet yeah. spot? I know we're second fed up with it, but is maybe there's a sweet spot where. They want you to get the impression, but not to be distracted. Yeah. So they have to pick it very carefully. Yes, they do have to pick it very carefully, but I think the, the music that is genuinely happy, yeah. and I think to create some art that is genuinely it's happy, probably distracting. you have to work very, very hard mm. through it. And so lots of times you have to have uh, something to contrast it against. That Daft Punk song, Get, get Lucky, mm-hmm. uh, is, I think, really, really nice, really upbeat uh, tune mm-hmm. but if you listen to it within the context of the album that's come just after like an uh, incredibly colorful really kind of challenging piece of like like an epic like a symphonic <laughs> thing right uh there's a piece called piece called touch which comes just and the, the get lucky actually in the context of the album it's the payoff for something they've worked for it in order right. to kind of get away with a bit of hedonism right. on that album and right. that's why that piece works um so I think, yes, you have to work those pieces you're talking about, those Christmas numbers. <laughs> I don't think that, I don't think that is happy music. So it kind of that goes, that goes against, I think there's some, there's some other attribute you want to give to that music, which allows people to, 
uh, exploit it to make people buy really? stuff or, or mm. whatever. Do you watch using this the Slade Christmas songs? Well, Does it make you happy, Carl? Of course, it doesn't make well, me happy. That, but, that's, <laughs> but that's because I've yeah. heard it. For- 50,000 times, usually, well, yeah. at Christmas, and I'm... And you don't really frequently those stores, anyway. It's, yeah, it's just a noise now. Right? Yeah. It has no meaning. But maybe for a kid or a young adult who don't really... have not heard it, it no. may seem very cheery and... Uh, and you got to remember, you're looking at it it's not as a musician. Oh, it's not happy music. You're it's looking not. at it as a musician. You're being over-analytical. You think I should be under-analytical? I'm just saying in this. I'm just saying in this instance, your your specialised knowledge is is potentially Damaging. clouding Damaging. your <laughs> If you're just a normal Joe, you might find it quite okay. Happy. Let's finish here round one. Right. So, what are we? What is our conclusion then? Uh, our conclusion is that you, the listener, should come and tell us. Yeah. If you have to cop out, yeah, and defend yourself, take action. I yeah. stopped, we stopped. I stopped. Literally stopped shopping at Profi because they, which is a shop here in. Uh, Romania, it's a chain of they yeah, small start, supermarkets. They start every thirty seconds, they start. They did this musical sting and announced this competition every thirty seconds, and it, it was it was relentless, well, like a jingle. With and, it. Yeah, and then you th- and it was like uh, as they were saying, they were advertising you could win 50,000 euros if blah, 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 blah. And yeah. it was all the time. It was relentless. And I thought, poor staff, you know, they've yeah. got st- it's incredibly annoying as a shopper. Like, imagine it's like being the staff there. So we stopped, we actually, you know, you do that free market capitalism thing and you vote with your feet exactly. and so, go somewhere else. So do you, do you just, just uh, one point, do you think then obviously if you're in the retail industry and obviously a lot of people are, and you're listening to this same music being cycled round and round and round, do you think potentially that is psychologically damaging yeah, it to ruined, those individuals? It, it ruined Christmas for me forever. Right. I'll ne- <laughs> <laughs> I will never enjoy Christmas again after having worked in retail. Or Halloween, or, or yeah. <laughs> anything else. So advertisers out there, marketeers... Listen to what just we're saying. Just cut it out. Well, don't sell rubbish anyway, to begin with. Well, this is the problem. Sell, sell better stuff. And we don't need muse. We don't need manipulating. Yeah, the people actually need. There's the amount of glitter in the shop. I I won't name the shop. The the shop I used to work in. The number of glittery Jesuses we sold. Really? (laughs) This really cheaply made like plastic glittery Jesuses, and they sold in the bucket load. Did you used to work? Did you used to work at the Vatican gift shop? (laughs) (laughs) You got me. Yeah, another life. Yeah. No. Anyway. Then, that's it for the main topic. <laughs> have you been influenced by music at any point in your life? I know we have. <laughs> for sure. And uh, finally this week, we've got something from NASA's uh, Jet Propulsion Laboratory. Yeah, very cool. JPL, very, very cool. We've actually touched on this before, and it's the uh, this concept called Starshade which um, is a way of blocking out a remote star's Mm -hmm. light so that you can more easily observe any planets that might be going around it because the uh, brightness of the star overwhelms the observation of the planet because the planet's only... You've only got reflected light from the planet. Yeah. Now, just to give you an idea how a star shade works, if you went outside on a sunny day and it's very bright, clear sky. What do you do, you know, quite often is you hold your hand up. And cover the sun. And cover the sun. 
a starshade is exactly like that, but obviously super engineered um, mm-hmm. because there's lots of physics involved. But it looks like a free-floating flower in a way, doesn't it? Yeah, it was developed like that, so it could uh, expand that, when it's in that's space. That's right, it has to expand, but it's got these specially shaped kind of leaves, outer leaves, uh-huh. and it is actually the points of the leaves that they use to cover the sun that mm-hmm. they're aiming at. And it is very carefully engineered so that it doesn't distort the light that's coming past it and all this stuff. Yeah, and in the middle you have a little hole. little tiny hole. Which uh, the purpose is, uh, its purpose is that the telescope will look uh, exactly through it. And uh, what was the other thing that, obviously it needs a telescope, a starshade is not mm-hmm. a telescope, it is no. just a thing for blocking out the sunlight. Mm-hmm. So basically um, the starshade could be put into, into position with an existing telescope. So you might imagine, for example, at the end of Hubble's lifetime, you might say, well, for the last couple of years, let's use it with an external starshade and repurpose it for the last couple of years or something. Yeah. Or with one of these other telescopes that they've got going yeah, on. Yeah, because actually this starshade can be... Moved. Moved. Maneuverable. Maneuverable, adapted, change its angle, everything yeah. independently yeah. from the telescope. And, it takes time. And it is some distance from the telescope, isn't it? So something like 10... Between ten and 30,000 kilometers, I think it is. Yeah, he's not that it's close. It's way in front of the telescope. Uh-huh. I presume it depends on the characteristics of the telescope. Yeah, but, exactly. But we kind of think, oh, it would be quite close, but actually it's actually quite a long way away. Mm-hmm. And NASA at the moment have got these fantastic kind of uh, almost full-scale models because they have to work out how to unfurl this starshade because a starshade, I think it's like, Six ninety feet or 30 meters in diameter uh-huh. or something, full scale. Um, but they've got to get it inside a payload area of existing uh, rockets that we've got. So the whole thing has got to fold up into like the size of a, 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 a washing machine. Yeah. And then once it's in position, it slowly unfolds into this fantastic-looking thing. Uh-huh. It is like a giant sunflower. Like a sunflower. It? it is. Yeah. It is like a sunflower. Well, Anyways. check the notes yeah. for the link. We've got a and link there. Yeah. Very check interesting. Check all the information there. Yes. There's also a, a very interesting animation uh, about very, it. Very interesting. And a, a nice little video as well. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, that's our and finally for this week. So that's it for this uh, this episode. Yeah, very interesting. Yeah, and in case Dan was wondering, no, the top, the weather didn't change. It didn't. No. But what did you it's think of the sun. of the show? I have super one. It was a good one. It was it, it was interesting, wasn't it? It's a very interesting concept. It's got a quite there's quite a lot you can explore with this one. And of course, you can look at the show notes mm-hmm. for yes. links and references then there. Yes, I think we're going to put some links under the bottom with all of the music and uh, yeah. films and stuff we're going to talk about. Yeah, excellent. So, uh, thank you, Carl. Thank you, Ralph. Thank you, Dan. Thank you. (laughs) (laughs) So, we'll talk to you next week down the rabbit hole. All names, sounds, logos, and other related items are owned by their respective trademark and copyright holders. This podcast is a production of Dark Mind Radio. Go to darkmindradio.com to find out more. 
Paul Wright's Reserved, Dark Mind Radio 2017.